This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I invite you to take your Bibles and let's go to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28, we're in a series called Guarantee. And we're looking at some promises from God out of the book of Isaiah. Today is going to be more of a teaching. And so to help you out, if you take your bulletin on the back, there's an outline. And if you so choose, there's a chance for you to uh, fill in the blank that will help organize our thoughts today. Just one little housekeeping uh, note. If you have a child that is fourth through sixth grade, in the 930 service, they will not be upstairs. They're going to be downstairs in the journey area. So we want to make sure that when you pick them up at the conclusion of the service, you're not upstairs, you're downstairs in the journeys area. So make, make a note of that. Isaiah 28:16. we're in a, a series uh and the context of what's happening here is Isaiah is speaking some very uh, difficult words to the, the leaders of Jerusalem because what is happening to them is all around them, cities are falling to the Assyrian Empire. And there was a certain sense of it is inevitable that our city is going to be taken too. It's much like if you can imagine from studying history in, in high school and college uh, when Nazi Germany was advancing across Europe. And the countries, they were so sure they were going to fall that they began to make alliances with Hitler just to avoid what was inevitable. This is exactly what the people of Judah and the leaders of Judah were doing. But yet God was not calling them to look to alliances for their strength. And we pick up the passage In Isaiah 28, starting with verse 14, and I'm going to give a little commentary in this passage before we really get into the, the outline. It says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. So he's specifically talking to the leaders of Jerusalem, the leaders of Judah. You boast, and now he's about to explain, this is kind of a funny thing, it's almost like Isaiah's being sarcastic here. It says, you boast, We have entered into a covenant with death. With the grave, we have made an agreement. Now that word death there is a word sheol, which is the word we use for hell. So he was in essence saying this, you boast we made a covenant with hell. That would not be a great boast for any of us who are trying to follow the Lord. And we don't know necessarily whether that covenant was with Egypt or that covenant was referring to Um, possibly having a covenant with Assyria, or that covenant might have even been with a false god. But here's the point I want you to understand. They were making a covenant with somebody besides God, somebody besides Yahweh, Jehovah, somebody besides the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were aligning themselves with someone other than Him. So reading on in verse 15, it says, When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, that Overwhelming scourge is Assyria. So when the army sweeps by, when the overwhelming scourge seeks by, sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge. Think about that term. We have made a lie our refuge. They were delusional. A delusion is when you believe that a lie is truth and falsehood are hiding place. Let's begin in 14. I want to, now that I've kind of explained that, I want to read it in full context. Verse 14, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, 
we have entered a covenant with death. With the grave, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. After He had made all His points, now this is what God says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. That's what God said. Now, Zion is talking about the city of Jerusalem, but it's more than just that. It's talking about the idealism of God ruling His people. God is in rulership with His people. That is what Zion is. We are part of Zion right now because we are under God's rule. I'm not talking about being American. I'm not talking about being in a political party or being part of a denomination. I'm talking about being a believer in Jesus Christ. We are part of Zion. So this verse is so important. If you look in your bulletin, it is referenced in Romans 9.3, Romans 10.11, 1 Peter 2.6. This was quoted by Paul and it was quoted by Peter. So even though those words might seem awkward to us at first, it was important enough that it, it was quoted in the New Testament at least three times. And so I want it to mean something to you today. So my hope is after today's teaching that in the middle of Isaiah, which Isaiah can be a little overwhelming and a little bit confusing, that maybe uh, if you underline your Bible, you can underline these words, and every time you read those words in, in the future, you're going to understand what verse 16 means more. Let's look at that key verse again. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. The title of my message today is A Sure Foundation. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, that the truth of this teaching, God, of what you said, because, God, you had something to say to the people of Isaiah's day. And so, Lord, I know you have something to say to my friends this morning. I know, God, you desire to speak to them. I know, Lord, you desire to show yourself strong. And so, Lord, I pray that today's teaching would not just be memorable, but, Lord, it would be uh, impactful, God. It would impact the way we view you and that we would put our faith completely in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah was, was confronting the political leaders and the religious leaders of his day. And he was calling them out because they weren't trusting God. They were trusting somebody else. And I've noticed a trend, and you probably have too in your life, that our political leaders and our religious leaders, they need to be called out at times. And they need to be called out and pointed back to the Lord. I want you to write this first observation down, is that the leaders were, fill in this blank, scoffing at Isaiah's warning of judgment. Isaiah was warning them about judgment and they were scoffing. What they were saying is, we've made a deal, we've made an alliance, we have a peace treaty. In other words, they were saying, even though the man of God says that judgment is coming, we as leaders of the people have got things under control. Do you know what a dangerous place that is? And scoffing is a very dangerous thing. Scoffing is very, very easy to do. It's so easy to look at, a, at somebody else and to scoff and to make fun of. And here's what happens. If, if you are a scoffer, 
meaning that you're always making fun of, of other people. Not in an endearing, positive way, but in a demeaning, uh, tearing down fashion. If you're a scoffer, it's a very, very quick popularity. Because people are going to laugh at you. And people are going to think you're funny. And people are going to enjoy your wit. And I thank God for those of you with a good sense of humor. I'm not suggesting that we abandon good jokes and a good sense of humor. But when we begin to scoff everything sacred, when we begin to scoff uh, the, the, way, the things that we need to respect in our life, we begin to eliminate its influence. And here's what's easy to do. It's always easy to scoff instead of lead. We can make fun of people and we can make fun of issues, and we can make fun of solutions, but it's so much easier to make fun of something than to actually engage and be part of the solution. But here is what is the truth. When somebody is hurting, when somebody is broken, when somebody needs direction in their life, they don't look to scoffers. They look to leaders. They look at people who have the heart of God. They look at people that have the anointing on their life. They look at people who have the wisdom of God. And so it's much better to be a scoffer. I mean, excuse me, it's much better to be a leader than to be a scoffer. And so, the second thing that I noticed about, about these leaders is they were arrogant in their trust and alliances. Write that blank down. Write that in the blank. They were arrogant in their trust and alliances. They, they foolishly thought that earthly covenants were going to protect them. And, and it was this attitude. The attitude was this. Well, if God fails us, we have a backup plan. If, if God doesn't really come through on this, I've got things covered. Even a covenant with hell itself. And how many of us, if we're not careful, in our arrogance, we don't realize or, or we fail to recognize that God is sovereign and God's in control. And here we are in our arrogance play, making a deal with sin, making a deal with the enemy, making a deal with with hell itself as our backup plan in case God doesn't come through. What arrogance there is in that. What arrogance there is to, to say God may not come through. Can I tell you, God comes through every time. He always comes through. It's not always on our schedule. And it's not always the, the time frame we want it to be. But God always comes through. And He's going to come through for you. He's going to come through. He is going to come through at just the right time. Time. So quit doubting that. Quit being so arrogant to think that you're thinking of stuff God isn't. Sometimes we're like worrying and we're thinking ahead, and, and a lot of times that's what worry is. You know, compulsive worriers, what they do is they play scenarios in their mind so they won't be caught off guard. Because if you're a compulsive worrier, the thought of being caught off guard by a situation will, will totally, uh, totally scare you. So you begin to play out all these different scenarios in your mind. And, and I've been around compulsive warriors who, who think of stuff that, I'm like, how in the world did you imagine that? And that, that's just, your creativity is incredible. And I say that with compassion because sometimes that, that is a, a manifestation of fear. But God says this. God, God says something really, really different. He says, don't have a backup plan besides me. I am your plan. God says, I am your sufficiency. I have it all together. I am the one who is holding all things together for you. He has it all together. So in response to, in response to the mocking, 
in response to the arrogance of these leaders who had this secret alliance, either with Egypt or Syria or with a false god, God had something very, very clear to say to His people. Now, I, I grew up in Texas, and, and in Texas we have a lot of a sandy soil, a lot of flat land, and so a lot of the homes there are built on slab foundations. Um, and the land is so flat, they just throw up quick, especially in North Texas, they just throw up cities so fast. It's like incredible. Someday North Dallas is going to merge with Oklahoma. It's going to be crazy. I mean, all these houses are coming so fast. I'm glad to be here and not there. How many thank God for Tennessee? Say amen. All right. Uh, I'm not going to subject you to a bunch of uh, Texas propaganda. I love Texas. I'm a Texan. I have two of my three children are Texans. I made sure that that was the case. But I'm here in Tennessee as long as you guys keep me. Now, we would throw up these houses, and, and the houses would be thrown up so fast. And there were a lot of foundation problems in Texas on the sandy soil, on the slab so one of the things that when I used to live there, the few times I would go house hunting or, or look for a home, while everybody else was looking for a brand new home, I always wanted to look at the homes that had been established for a few years, for five, six, seven years. Because all my friends who had bought brand new homes, there, there was a sense of, of uh, I don't know, dread or sense of... Uh, uncertainty about what's going to happen to the foundations. And they would, they would take the soaker hoses, and if it was dry, there were a lot of dry spells, and they would soak the foundation because they wanted to make sure the foundation settled properly. And I'm, I know that, that here in the Mid-South, some of that we deal with also. But there was that sense of uncertainty. And I think that in our lives that many of us have that same sense of uncertainty about many things in our lives. We're just kind of waiting to see how things settle. Now, is this marriage really going to work out? Am I really going to get out of debt? Is this child going to really develop the way I think they should? And we're just waiting for things to settle. And there's a great uncertainty within us. And God wants to tell you something today. Because God wants you to have a foundation. God wants you to have some, something sure in your life. And let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you like to know that there's something reliable in your life? Wouldn't you like to know there's something you can always depend on? Wouldn't you like to know that there's something that will never let you down? Well, I don't want you to write down the first thing I believe God says. He said this, I lay a stone in Zion. And basically what the Lord is saying, I am permanently secure. I am permanently secure. I love God's authoritative manner in saying this through Isaiah. He said, I lay a stone in Zion. That means God says, it is my idea. It is my foundation. Can I tell you that our religion is not a result of the, the wisdom of one man or, or the, the idea of one man. Our God, He laid the foundation and He laid it down and He put the initiative down and said, I lay a stone in Zion. I lay a foundation. I am the one that has decided this is what the foundation will be. And this is a secure foundation. And the things that God establishes in your life will never leave. When God establishes something, it is secure and it will stay. I love what that Scripture says at the beginning of 16. A tested stone. I lay in Zion a tested stone. You see, for thousands and thousands of years, God had said, I am going to bless my chosen people, Judah, through the, the line of David. And that might not mean a lot to you this morning, but 
This is what it means. It means God chose a particular family and a set of families. And He said, through this line, I will bless my people. Through this line, I will rule through my people. And even though every factor pointed to the death of that dynasty, every factor pointed to the ending of that dynasty, God was not finished. He was in control the whole time because He had laid a stone in Zion. He had laid a foundation. And we know what that foundation is. That foundation is Jesus Christ. That foundation is Jesus Christ. From the beginning, before, before any, the law was even given, in the Garden of Eden, when man first fell, God had a plan for Jesus. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't a plan B. Jesus wasn't a, just a, a response to our sin. Jesus was designed by God from the beginning. He designed Jesus. He laid a stone in Zion before we even sinned. That means before you even sin, God's figured out a way for you to be forgiven. You don't even have to wonder if you're going to be forgiven because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's laid a, he's laid a foundation for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. I have it under a different point, but I want you to take an arrow back up to point 1. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. He is the sure foundation. He is the, he is the tested stone. God decided. You didn't decide to follow Jesus. God decided that you could be a follower of Jesus and He's given you the choice to either accept Him or not. The stone in Zion has been laid. A tested stone. A sure foundation for you. Can I tell you that in the coming years and for the rest of your life, you're going to see men and women establish clay kingdoms. And clay kingdoms, they're going, to, they're going to establish kingdoms that are built on a clay foundation. And kingdoms like that, they'll rise very fast, and they'll be very impressive. And kingdoms like that will be very attractive. But it doesn't matter how fast someone ascends to the top, and it doesn't matter how impressive their house looks, and how impressive their building looks, if they don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ, if He isn't their motivation, if He isn't their Lord, if He isn't the one they're trying to please, that kingdom will crumble and that kingdom will fall because there's only one sure foundation and that's Jesus Christ. God's already laid down a a stone for you. It's a tested stone. It's unmovable. It's unshakable. It's a foundation that will never falter. So why are you trusting anything else in your life? Why are you having a backup plan? He has established it. He has established a sure foundation for you. I want you to think about this statement I'm about to say. Nothing in your life is completely reliable except God. Nothing. Nothing in your life is completely reliable except God. You can't put your trust in anything. You can't put your trust completely in your spouse. You can't put your trust completely in your money. You can't put your trust in your job, your retirement, your government, your church, your pastor. You can't put your trust in anything in the world except Jesus Christ. He is the only sure foundation. And the, the, the stone has been laid down. It was God's initiative. It was God's idea. It will not be shaken. It will not be moved. And so this morning, He's invited you to be part of that sure foundation. I'm just, right now, I am just so amazed at the power of a beginning. I'm reading, rereading a book called, by James Dobson, an excellent book called uh, Bringing Up Boys, which even though I have one daughter, 
I spent a lot of time with my boys. I think it could be the subtitle of my life right now, Bringing Up Boys. Uh, this book is an excellent book, and it talks about a lot of different factors, but there's a lot of psychology in it. And I have been amazed at how much a male boy is impacted in the first three years of his life, psychologically. It's just amazing to me. You know, beginnings are very, very important. Your first impression you make on somebody often sets the tone for your relationship the rest of your life. Beginnings are important. That's why it's so important if you're dating or you're engaged that your beginning is so important because the way you start your marriage can set a tone. It's, it, it doesn't mean that you're doomed for a lack of success or you're doomed for, for something bad, but it means that if you're in the power to start things right, start things right. Do it God's way. Don't do it your way. Follow His Word. Follow His plan. Seek the kingdom first in your dating relationship, in your engagement relationship, and it'll set a great tone for the rest of your marriage. I think about churches and so many churches that, that have started because people were mad at their last church. And so they just go a mile down the road and they start a church. And, and that's not a good way to start a church. It's not a good way. You, you ought to be submitted to the, the pastor you leave, even if he's not a good pastor, or even if he's not a kind pastor. You, you don't want to start a church. Because, yeah, you can overcome that. And there's examples of churches that have been split that, that have done well. But there's so many churches that have an unhealthy root because of a bad beginning. And all of that, I want to say this because God's saying something to you. He said, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a sure foundation, because a, a precious cornerstone. I want you to write number two down. Because a precious cornerstone, I believe God is saying this, I begin every good thing in your life. I, be, I begin every good thing in your life. A cornerstone is the first stone laid in the building. It's the starting place. There's a foundation that is Jesus Christ. And then there's all the things in our life that we start. We put down a cornerstone. And the cornerstone is that which we build upon. And I want you to think about everything in your life. If you're not putting Christ first, if you're not putting Him, I'm sure He's your foundation if you're following Him. But it's not just about Him being your foundation for salvation. It's about Him being your cornerstone for every good thing in your life. For every good thing, for your business deals, for your job, for your parenting skills, for your hobbies, for the people you spend time with. Every relationship, every bill you pay, every dollar you spend, every choice you make, Jesus Christ wants to be the cornerstone. He wants to be that, that precious cornerstone in your life. He wants to be the one that's the beginning of every good thing. And the Scripture is so clear that the precious cornerstone here is Jesus. There's no doubt about that. I want you to look at me at Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2. You can go ahead and take time to get there. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. It says, Consequently, well, I like hearing that this page is Russell. That's a pretty cool sound. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Aren't we glad to be part of God's household? Amen? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with, look at this phrase, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together, 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in you, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. Everything good in our life is because Jesus begins it. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? In every situation, what is He not the cornerstone of? Because He is miraculous. And when you repent and you change your priorities, you can make Him that cornerstone today. And He could be he could be completely, completely in charge of every area of your life. You know, it keeps happening on a regular basis, over and over and over again, that our leaders disappoint us. It, this week in the news, once again, a politician who ran for president, his scandal came full circle, and a lot of negative things about him came out. And here's a man two years ago running for president, and we're finding out that he's been lying to a whole nation. So whether it's a politician or whether it's an athlete, or whether it's a religious leader, or a pastor, our leaders keep disappointing us over and over and over again. In fact, if you think, think about it the last five years, think about how much of the news cycle has, has been taken up by leaders who disappoint. It's disheartening. It's disheartening and it's disappointing. But in the middle of all of this, God is saying something clear. He said, there is one in your life. There's one in your life. There's not two. There's not ten. There's not twenty. There is one in your life that will never fail you. There is one in your life that will never disappoint you. And I love that when he talks about a sure foundation, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. He believes in him, who trusts in him, will not be dismayed. Will not be dismayed. I want you to write this last thing down today. Is God saying to you, I will never disappoint you. I will never disappoint you. I will never disappoint you. You will not be dis dismayed. Those who trust in God and follow His paths, you won't be disappointed. You won't be dismayed. If you put your trust in Him, if you say, He is my, he is my complete, complete, complete focus. Nobody else. He is what I'm building my life with. He is who I'm, I'm, I'm making this cornerstone with. If you do that, You'll never, never be disappointed. Listen, I want, I want to, I want to help you focus your attention on Him who was spoken by from Isaiah from the beginning. Don't trust in alliances. Don't mock. Don't be arrogant. Don't have a backup plan. Instead, turn your heart to this trusted stone, this precious cornerstone. And if you do that, you will never be dismayed. You will never be disappointed. The last scripture I want to share with you is out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter five, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. It's a beautiful scripture. And it says, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Look at verse 4 again. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And I'm going to invite you today to come to that living stone. It doesn't matter if everyone else in your life has rejected Him. 
And I'm not talking about just an intellectual rejection, like, you know, changing your senses for them. Yeah, I'm not a Christian. I am a Christian. We, we know that still, as evil as our country has, be, has become, as godless as it's become, still the majority of Americans still claim to be Christian. But it doesn't matter what you claim. It matters what you live. It matters where your heart is today. You see, there might be a lot around you that might have rejected Jesus Christ. Maybe your friend base has rejected Jesus Christ. Maybe it is that your spouse. Maybe it is that your parents. Maybe it is your co-workers. They've rejected Christ. They're not living for Him. They're not living the type of lifestyle you know they should. Rejected by Him. But God's inviting you to come. To come to the living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. He's chosen by God. God has chosen. He laid the stone from the beginning. He laid the stone down so you could have a sure foundation. So you could quit doubting. So you could quit being in fear. So you could quit being in worry. So you could quit being in uncertainty. Because we have security in the Lord. We know that He has gone and prepared a place for us. And He has promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. I like what David said. He said, I was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Are God's, God's children begging for bread. That God is faithful. He's going to come through. There might be layoffs all around you. There might be cutbacks all around you. But God is the one that is faithful to you. He is your source. He is your strength. And He's going to sustain you. Some of you have gone through difficult circumstances. And right now, you're in the middle of something that you never would have predicted. You're in the middle of something you never would have chosen. And sometimes you wonder, where is God? Where is He? Can I tell you that He is setting up something special in your life? That the end of the story hasn't come. That the last chapter hasn't been written. That He is taking you through this trial. And He's taking you through this testimony. So you can be stronger in the end. Because you can trust in Him. He is a sure foundation. And we are going to rest in Him today. I want you to stand with me right now. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 